morning beginning with Matthew chapter 1. We've been talking about uh, things from Luke's perspective um, with Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary. But that's only half the story, isn't it? So we want to look at uh, things from Joseph's perspective this morning a little bit. One of the things that, ways that God speaks to people, Old and New Testaments, is through dreams and visions. And as you read the scriptures, it seems like uh, these dreams and visions, uh, at least in the biblical sense, uh, kind of have, they cluster around certain individuals in certain times. So you have, in Genesis, you have Joseph uh, ending up in Egypt, a uh, man of dreams and interpreters of dreams. You have Daniel. Um, you've got people like Ezekiel, um, these kind of things. So the dreams cluster basically in Genesis, Daniel, and Matthew in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, <clears throat> and then in uh, Matthew in the New Testament, the visions cluster around Isaiah, but particularly Ezekiel, Daniel, and the book of Acts. And so the difference between dreams and visions is that oftentimes dreams have to do with something that's affecting us personally. All of our dreams do that. Uh, when we have a dream, it's usually our mind, uh, while the, the conscious part, the rational part sleeps, uh, the rest of the mind takes over and brings up issues that maybe we've buried or don't want to face. And oftentimes, I don't know if, if it's been your experience or not, if you're wrestling with a trouble or a problem, a difficulty that you're trying to figure out, and you sleep on it in the morning, uh, often you see your way clearly because your mind has been processing that. And from a biblical viewpoint, what happens then is in that normal thing that happens within us, God steps in and gives a direction and a message. But it usually has to do with something that we are concerned about and wrestling with ourselves, and we find a way forward. Visions is just God just intervening and telling us, and often it's things unlooked for for us. Sometimes it's a, a larger picture or um, a specific guidance and direction for us. So the book of Matthew contains six dreams. Four of them were with Joseph. And normally these dreams cluster around the person of Jesus Christ. And most of them, other than the first one, are going to deal with his, um, de- his life, trying to spare his life. <clears throat> the last one you remember is... Um, in Matthew 27, when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, and Pilate's wife has a dream, a warning dream, and she sends a message to her husband, interrupts um, the affairs of state, and tells him, wants him to know that uh, you be careful how you deal with this man. So whether he took it to heart or not, he allowed other influences to, to overcome <clears throat> the message that she gave. In the beginning, um, we're going to see that God also spoke to another Gentile group of men, the Magi. And they also, God spoke to those men in a dream to warn them to uh, go home a different way, sparing the life of Jesus. And the 
last three of the visions of the, of the dreams that Joseph himself had in chapter 2 have to do with um, taking Jesus away and sparing his life in one form or another. But what we want to look at this morning is the first dream that is recorded for uh, Joseph. Remember the last couple of weeks we've been talking about how God was dealing with Zechariah and Elizabeth and doing a miraculous thing and giving them the birth of John. And we saw how this was a, not only a, a miracle of God, but it was a prophetic thing and that John was going to be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And he was called for a specific task to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Um, three months later, after the initial response, um, six months later, after the initial uh, vision for Zechariah, Gabriel appeared to, to Mary and proclaims to her an even greater miracle. Um, we would know it as pronouncing the virgin birth where she was going to be the mother of the Son of God and he is the Messiah who was to come. And so Mary immediately went and spent three months with Elizabeth. And at the end of that three months, Mary came home and John was born. When she came home to Nazareth, um, there were going to be issues. And there's going to be issues because these were people that had a very high view of morality. And for a woman who was betrothed to be married, to come up pregnant, um, in their culture, it was not only a great social stigma, but it was punishable by death. It carried a death penalty in the New Testament. Now, this is not Old Testament. This is New Testament. It carried a death penalty. You remember the woman that was caught in adultery, and they drug her before Jesus, wanting him to give approval so that they could take her out and stone her. And so for Mary to say yes to what God was doing was literally taking her life in her hands and her whole future because Joseph was a godly man. And because he was a godly man and because he cared about Mary, um, she comes up and, and she's pregnant. I'm sure that was a crisis for him because, it, you know, he's a, he's a businessman in the community. It's a small community. People know who he is. And he's got a reputation as a godly man. And now this woman that he's, young girl that he's engaged to marry, is pregnant. And small town, everybody knows. Questions are raised. People can count. And so it's going to be a difficult thing. Still, Joseph, because of his love and concern for this woman, he wants to put her away privately, quietly, to spare her as much as he can. So it's at this point that God intervened in, Matthew, in uh, Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, starting with verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, she knew that, but nobody else did. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to re divorce her quietly. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now both Matthew and Luke are very careful to insist upon the virgin birth of Christ and that this was not, um, Jesus was not a bastard. And if he's not the son of God, then that's what he is. Now that normally, you know, when I was growing up, I'd get my mouth washed out for even saying the word. It's a little different culture and society in which we live now, isn't it? Um, in Jesus' day, it was even more strict culturally. So Jesus' life not only is going to end in a scandal of crucifixion under the government, um, accused by his own people, the religious leaders who he came, the women who should have known, the authorities of the scripture. They're the ones who instigated his trial and orchestrated his death. And it was a scandalous thing. But the scandal didn't begin at the cross. It began at the birth. Because this was a stigma that they would bear. Jesus would bear his whole life. Mary would bear her whole life. Joseph would bear his whole life. So what do you do when public opinion is against you, even when it's wrong? You know, people's reputations can be ruined by a false accusation. But once people make the accusation, then it raises the question of the integrity of the person. And even though it may be proven false, oftentimes that question still remains in the hearts and minds of people. So there was a stigma attached to Jesus right from before he was born. Later on in Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19, Jesus is talking to his culture and to his generation. And he says, what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So right from the beginning, there was a stigma attached to Jesus from before his birth because he, it didn't meet cultural expectations or what people thought the Messiah should look like when he came. 
And so oftentimes we come up with our own understanding, our own concept of what God should be like and how he should act, how God should act. And when God doesn't do things the way we want him to or expect him to, at the time that we expect him to, then we question God. We should be questioning ourselves. So Jesus was coming in an unorthodox way. Now they had these prophecies uh, they had these miracles that God had, had performed earlier, and yet they did not make the connection. There was a disconnect between the word of God that they understood and how they lived their life. And unfortunately, in the church, many of us, we still find that same disconnect. We know what the scripture says, but the application in our daily life, oh, that's a little different story, isn't it? And most of us go our own way, like sheep. Even when we know what the Word of God says. Well, this was an unusual thing that God was doing, and they didn't understand. You remember the prayer of David after he had sinned with Bathsheba? It's in Psalm 51. This is one of the things that he wrote after this after the confession, after the repentance, after the forgiveness was received, then he could write Psalm 51. Before Nathan had challenged him and confronted him with his sin, he could not have written the psalm. It was a difficult psalm, I think, for David to write. But part of what he says, he's confessing his sin before God, he's asking God to forgive him and cleanse him, but he makes this statement in verse 5, and it's the testimony that every one of us can say we could write, we could have written verse 5 of Psalm 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And then he asked for cleansing and purging. So this testimony of David could be ours. Because all of us, because of Adam's sin, we are born with a sin nature, aren't we? There's a predisposition within us to be selfish and self-centered, and that's the basis of all of our sin. You don't have to teach a little child those things. It's, it's in them. And it's in each one of us. When David says, in sin, my mother conceived me, he's not talking about her moral integrity. He's saying that she was, a, she was in sin and his father was a sinful man and we're all sinners, all of us. And so this testimony could be ours. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me, born with a sin nature. That was not true of Jesus. Now the accusation was there. And the accusation was, not only are you not right the way we expect you to be, but you are less than us. We are not children of iniquity. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God that we have fallen short of? We have sinned 
because, and we've fallen short, because when God created us, how did he create us? He created us in the image and likeness of God, without sin, without spot, without blemish of any kind, holy and righteous because in God's image. But because of Adam's sin, he's passed that sin nature on to us. And so even at birth, the image of God, while being in us, is not seen and doesn't control us because we're controlled by the sin nature until Christ comes in and deals with that. And this is why he's come. So in Psalm 51.5, this is what they thought about Mary. In, but they thought it literally of her. In sin did my mother conceive me. But we know different because of what the angel said to Mary. What is conceived in you is conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who spoke that into existence, right? Now the pagan literature has all kinds of, of myths about the gods coming down and having intercourse with the women and uh, these are supposed to be the, the demigods, people like Hercules and, and Theseus and people like that, Achilles and some of those other guys. But what they did was their gods were um, like people. People weren't like the gods and except uh, the myth gods had the same weaknesses, the same sins, um, the same lust and desires that people have, except they were gods and so they could do what they wanted, and they did. This is very, very different from that. This is God speaking creatively through the Holy Spirit who created the universe out of nothing, out of nothing. And so... Jesus was holy from before his birth. So the angel messengers proclaimed both to Matthew and Luke, and they went out of their way to proclaim the difference. So Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So this is what Joseph was, was being told. Now that's a great act of faith, isn't it? He had to believe this with all of his heart. And the thing about Joseph is that he was a man of dreams, but he was no mere dreamer. He was also a man of divisive, decisive action. When God showed him what he wanted, Joseph did it immediately without hesitation. And he tells us this. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. If you read later on in chapter 2, God waked him up in the middle of the night and told him he needed to flee to Egypt. He did not wait till morning. They got up and left. If he had waited, Jesus would have died. This is a man, he, he receives instructions from God through these dreams. He knows that they're from God and he acts on them immediately. And he does this consistently through chapter 2 there. You know, I, I know some men who truly are visionary 
Uh, these are men of inspired dreams. They have no clue how to bring those dreams and visions into fulfillment. So often they end up doing nothing. What good is a dream or a vision if, it, if, if you're not going to act on it? Joseph was not one of those. For those people, eventually the dream fades and dies. And things go on. In the, in the Bible, in Scripture, the men and women in Scripture who had dreams and visions were faithful people. They understood that it was being and living the message. They understood these revelations as a call to personal involvement and personal responsibility, and this is why God chose to give them these revelations. So not every dream is from God. We need the discernment of the Holy Spirit to help us know which ones are, are from God. But if you've ever had a dream from God, you'll know the difference. So it's being and living the message. And so God entrusts them with this message because he knows that they will be faithful people. In James chapter 4, verse 17, says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So if God gives you a revelation, you're expected to take that and have it affect your life. And when it affects your life, it affects people around you. And so we've got, um, this is repeated many times in Scripture. Um, Luke talks about the tenants, and the one who knew his master's will is going to be punished more severely than he knew his master's will and didn't do it than the one who didn't do the master's will, but he didn't know what it was. He didn't have a clue. He was ignorant. One's a, sig uh, uh, a sin of ignorance. The other's a sin of rebellion. Matthew 25, you remember this is the whole thing about the sheep and the goats. And the difference between the sheep and the goats was that some actively helped and participated in the people around them. The goats did not. When do we see you miserable, poor, blind, naked in prison and not visit you? And Jesus said, when you saw all these things and did it not, that's a sin of omission. They knew what they should have done. They just didn't do it. So God is giving dreams and visions. Um, and Joel chapter 2. Got this great prophecy concerning the last days. Starting with verse 28. And God speaking to Joel. And it came to pass afterward. Um, it, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days... I will pour out my spirit. Now that didn't start on the day of Pentecost. 
It started back in Matthew and Luke. When God began to pour out his spirit, you remember? Um, when Jesus walked into Elizabeth's, in, in Mary's womb, just conceived, just got the message, she went immediately to her cousin, to her aunt's um, Elizabeth, and without having said a word about that, the baby, John, recognized that and leaped within his mother's womb. And it says in Luke that she was filled with the Holy Spirit and she prophesied. Later on, when Zechariah, her husband, wrote out after he had been unable to speak for nine months, his name is John, his mouth was open, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began to prophesy. And so you have these things happening here. Um, you know, there was a reason that God chose these families, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph. Now think about it for a minute. Both of the men, and this are old men, and as far as we know, neither of them lived to see their sons in active ministry. We have Jesus, uh, earthly father, Joseph, with him when he's 12 years old, when he goes to the temple. And after that, you hear nothing about Joseph. He drops out of the picture. And we don't know anything about uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. We don't know how long they lived before John was on his own. So God was looking for these men. These were faithful men because they were going to be the role model for their sons. Now, Jesus is the son of God. That's true. But when he entered the earth, he entered the earth like you and I. And there is going to be an input in his life from Joseph. And there's going to be an input in John's life from Zechariah. And so God choosing this, this family, these are specific people that God has chosen to be the role model. Because one of the things that John is supposed to do is he's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. And the very last thing God said in the book of Malachi before 400 years of silence until angel Gabriel shows up in Zechariah's temple there. 400 years before that of silence. Last thing he said, God said to them, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. So one of the things that John was going to do when he grew up and entered his ministry um, was to fulfill this prophecy. When Zechariah's mouth was open and he began to prophesy, it included John is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. When did that start? Did it start at their... At their ministry? No. It began in Matthew and Luke with Zechariah and Joseph. These men, their hearts were turned to their sons, and the sons were turned to their fathers. And sometimes we get confused about some of these things, and we think, well, this is, um, you know, the fathers' hearts toward their sons, 
But the other part is the hearts of the sons to their fathers. And there's going to be a reconciliation. There's going to be a, a, a unity within the family. And I think that's why the families are being attacked these days. The family structure is all breaking down. People aren't getting married. They're just having kids and everybody going their separate way and doing their own thing. That's an attack and it's a sinful thing. Because the integrity of the home is meant to model the relationship that exists in the Trinity and has from before creation. God is Father. That's a family term. Jesus is a son. That's family terms. Uh, we are God's children. Uh, the bride of Christ or the virgin daughter of Israel. These are family family terms in which God has chosen to reveal these things because he's talking about the close, personal, intimate relationship that exists between the Godhead. So as the individuals created in the image and likeness of God, the family created image and likeness of the Trinity. So the very first command that God gave, very first one, be fruitful and multiply. Family is God's idea. But it's a family that's to reflect the righteousness and holiness of God. And so this is why he chose these families to be able to bring this forth. And it had an influence. Uh, but the stigma was always there. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes to his hometown. Public ministry now. God is using him. Um, he's already raised the, healed the sick and raised the dead. He's already done these things and he's going home to his hometown, Nazareth. Here's the reception that he gets. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogues and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now in their culture and society, it's always the father's name. They didn't think Joseph was his father. So he's called son of Mary. It wasn't a compliment. And brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Here this illegitimate son is coming back here, and now he's putting on airs. We know him. We know who he is. We know situation at his birth. About, we know about this kid. And they took offense at him. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He came into his own and his own didn't receive him because they could not get over the miracle which God had done and were unprepared to accept it. And so they tell you these days, if you go to seminary, that it's not important about the virgin birth. But unless you know where Jesus comes from, then you don't know who he is. And if you don't know where he went, you don't know who he is. And so God is calling us to be men and women of vision. Uh, the other thing about um, Joel's prophecy, when 
The book of Acts picks this up and makes an application uh, for the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Peter, the, the spokesman at that time, was quoting this, song, this uh, verse from Joel chapter 2 about God pouring out his spirit upon all flesh, men and women, sons and daughters, old and young. But the word that he used for old men, it's the word that the New Testament uses for elder. So when Paul and Silas are going through establishing these churches and they're appointing elders, this is the word that's used, the Greek part, in Peter's sermon. So it doesn't necessarily mean an old man. An elder would be the, the they would pick uh, men in the church who were, who were active, involved, you know, these were young men in their prime, were the elders of the early church. And that's the word that Peter used when he was quoting from Joel. So the dreams and visions are for you and me. Now, some of us, like me, and Pastor Roy, seriously, uh, about dream dreams for old men, but it's not just for us or people like Greg, you know, or, or, or the rest of us here. Uh, Norm and, and some of the rest of us. It's not just for us old guys. <laughs> when it says elder, it means people like, like uh, you know, like, like Luke and Andrew, people like Nathan, you know, young guys, uh, people like Vince. <laughs> You're still a young man, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> people like Derek, Willie over here. Oh, that's we we ought to be the dreamers. We ought to be opening our hearts and saying, you know, we spend more than half our life asleep anyway. And we ask God, God, speak to me in my dreams. What about the visions? That's the young men. Oh, that's you guys. And not just men, sons and daughters, right? Here you are right here on the front row. Uh, we all back there on the back row. And people in between, some of you all over here, way over here too. People of vision, dreams and visions, but not just visionaries, right? not just visionaries, people who take the word of God when it comes, because if we open our hearts and seek him, it will come, and we act on it. Be the message, live the message, then you can speak the message, and that's what God's calling us to do. And when, it, when he comes, it's a gift. It means God is trusting you with part of his word. He's trusting you to live it to be it. So as we come to communion this morning, as we said that um, Advent is all about the birth of Christ coming, but he didn't stay a baby. And the whole thing about accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior is that we are not supposed to stay babies. We are not supposed to stay babies either in our spiritual life. We are supposed to be growing and maturing. Um, and one of the things that we're looking for now is we are looking for the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so what does that mean for us? How are we supposed to be living? In 2 Peter chapter 3, he's going to tell us a little bit about this. And we're going to be um, reading verses... 1 through 15. So Peter writes, and um, he's stirring them up to remembrance. 
And he's talking about um, scoffers who are coming in the last days. And then I uh, want to pick up with verse 8. Do not overlook this one fact, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? That's the question. That's the question he's asking you and me. And he's given us the answer. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is why our lives now should be filled with holiness and godliness to prepare us for the new heavens and the new earth because there is where righteousness lives. And if you want to be a part of that, then that's, how, that's what we should be doing. Lives of holiness. He ends this letter with verse 18 and he's writing to Christians, first century Christians in the church. It's a general letter that's supposed to be circulated among all the, all the churches in that area. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So... Are we? Are we growing? Not just physically, not just emotionally, not just getting old, some of us. Are we growing in the grace and knowledge of God? There's more. There's more for all of us, and we should be progressing in our relationship with God. We should be growing in righteousness. We should be growing in experiencing and living a life filled with grace. That's ours. That's what Jesus died to give to us. And when we live that way, we look forward and hasten the coming of the Lord. I, it always disturbed me that um, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, one day he asked them the question, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith here? Think about that question a lot. It's a good question. It's a question that Jesus is asking us today in the day and time in which we live. If the Son of Man were to come back today, would he find faith here? So it's there because it's a gift from God that we receive because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body and it's broken for you. 
Then after supper, he took the cup. After he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Each of you drink from this cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he said that as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a proclamation that Jesus died for our sins. It's a proclamation that he is the giver of the dreams and the visions. And you remember that the, the important thing about that is that dreams and visions, call, it falls under the category of working out or living out your own salvation because God is at work within you both to will and to do his good pleasure. To will and to do, that's who you are. To be the pleasure of God. Does God take pleasure in your life right now? It should be. We should be living lives pleasing unto the Lord. And Jesus died to make that possible. Now, when we stop and think about it, it's not, it's not, you're not thinking about it to beat yourself up or to condemn yourself. Or, you know, it's not a downer. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. What I'm saying is let's look at our life and be honest. And when we acknowledge these things before the Lord, that's when transformation can take place if we will receive it. And that's why he died, so that that transformation would be a reality in us and that we can begin from this day growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So will those serving communion please come forward?